the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Wednesday, January 4th, 2022. I am Seth Leibson. Our phone number is 602-508-0960-602-5080-960. Love to hear from you uh, and talk about uh, what's taking place on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. David Dahl, our associate producer, has the wheel, has command today. Bill uh, is out and will be back with us tomorrow. David, uh, welcome aboard again. Thank you. Uh, so say hi to David when you call, and please do call, 602-508-0960. It's a good way for, um, for our elected officials and uh, decision makers to hear what is, um, what is the thought process, what is the thinking of their constituents. Uh, remember, this is about us. I suppose the biggest frustration about what's taking place, at least for me, I don't want to speak for any of you, the biggest frustration I have is that I was really and am really looking forward to us debating Democrats. I am really looking forward to and want us to get about the business of investigating the FBI, of investigating social media, of investigating the CDC, of investigating um, Anthony Fauci, of investigating a lot of institutions and a lot of people that need it and deserve it, including, yes, even our own elements of government. Um, We kind of were hoping that that's what we would be starting to do today, if not yesterday. Um, We do not have a Speaker of the House today. Kevin McCarthy uh, has now gone through six votes, six rounds of voting, um, and still has not been able to improve his numbers. There's a few things around the edges here which are also worth discussing. Uh, This morning, Donald Trump, former President Trump, made a strong plea to conservatives, uh, to everyone in the the, uh, Republican caucus in the House of Representatives, to support McCarthy, to stop the dissension, and to support McCarthy. Uh, It seemed to have garnered no votes. It seemed to have done McCarthy no good. So the question people are asking, and I think it's a valid question, is um, is how much is Donald Trump's poignancy worth anymore? Does he have and carry the weight that he used to? Uh, he is not alone, however. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of you respect, including myself, from Mike Huckabee to Newt Gingrich to Jim Jordan, have been saying the same thing. They have not been able to move those votes. The question becomes several fold. What will change or what can change? Is there a consensus candidate? And if McCarthy steps out, bows out as some kind of consensus candidate emerges, what does that say? What does that mean? And can there be a candidate who achieves that consensus. It's evidently not going to be anyone in the 20, the gang of 20, let's call them, or the group of 20, whatever you want. You know who I mean, the people who are unwilling 
to support Kevin McCarthy with great ardency right now. There was an effort today to nominate Byron Donalds from the Group of 20. He is uh, he is he's a he's a very articulate congressman. Um, It's nonsense. He's been in the House of Representatives for all of two years. You cannot make someone who has been in Congress two years the Speaker of the House of Representatives, and he was never going to get more than 20 votes, and he didn't, and he will not. On the other hand, if you want to understand how toxic the left is, Cori Bush, Congresswoman Cori Bush, a member of the quote-unquote progressive squad, a congresswoman from Missouri, she tweeted this out. Byron Donalds happens to be an African-American. She tweeted this out. For what it's worth, Byron Donalds is not a historic candidate for speaker. He is a prop. Despite being black, he supports a policy agenda intent on upholding and perpetuating white supremacy. His name being in the mix is not progress. It's pathetic. There's your brain of the left. This is how the L.A. Times editorial page could label Larry Elder the blackface of white supremacy. That is pure racism. It's a racial assault. It's a racial assault when the L.A. Times did it. It's a racial assault from Cori Bush. This is what they think of conservatives. I never want to hear Democrats ever again tell us what kind of Republicans we should be or what kind of Republicans we should nominate, they think we are all perpetuating white supremacy. Even black people who supposedly, according to this tweet, cannot think for themselves or have independent thoughts. That's a set of thoughts. Another reason why I want us to get our act together so we can start defeating them rather than defeating ourselves. Toward the end of uh, this past year, I was doing a monologue, just revisiting it, about how divided the Republican Party is and yet how necessary it was to unite because we have so much to repair. And I was speaking, interestingly enough, about the battle over at the RNC. There's a battle for the chairmanship of the RNC, mostly between Harmeet Dillon, the attorney from California, and Rona McDaniel, the current chairman. I support Harmeet Dillon. I hope she wins. But that's what we all thought the fight was going to be about. It dawned on very few that I know of that it would be about Kevin McCarthy being the Speaker of the House. I have to tell you, I still do not understand the dyspepsia with him. I still do not understand why this group of 20 does not want him to be Speaker. He has made massive and unprecedented concessions, including, as I believe Doug called in yesterday, and I think I heard on another show today, he may have called as well, saying the idea that he would open up his resignation as speaker to nothing more than a vote of five people shows you not only how sincere he is, it shows you how unprecedented he is willing to extend his hand to say how serious he is about taking in the views and viewpoints of everyone else. going to have an interesting um, discussion in the third hour with someone who has been there and done this, been part of it and been on the other side of it. A hero to the movement, I think. Hero to me, for certain. A member of the class of 1994, and that would be Congressman John Shattuck, who was at one point the chairman of the Republican Study Committee, which was the Freedom Caucus 
of its day. We'll get John Chaddock's thoughts. Uh, he'll be in studio. We'll get his thoughts in our third hour about all of this. He has been through this with Newt Gingrich. He has been through this with John Boehner. He was in Congress for 15 years, and he is a committed conservative. I, I remember the last time he was here, David, I asked him, um, I asked him if there was you know, anything uh, during a commercial break, anything he was doing he wanted me to promote, you know, if he had any, you know, any kind of projects or, you know, businesses, books, you name it. And he says, I just, I'm just here to promote freedom. That's, that's, that's how pure John Shattig is. And um, he's a delight. We'll have him in uh, at the end of, uh, in our final hour, in our third hour today. So a lot have been, a lot has been exposed here. A Republican Party, I think, that shows itself unable to get its act together. What philosophers would call a set of insufficient options. So for those saying McCarthy has to step aside and we have to find a consensus candidate, who is it? It also says something about a phrase I don't like very much, but I struggle to find a better one. Which is, yes, I have it. I have the better phrase. I was, the phrase I don't like is taking hostage, uh, so we won't use that. The phrase that I think is a better one is the tyranny of the minority. That's what we have right now. We have a tyranny of the minority. And if Kevin McCarthy has to step aside because 20 people don't want him as opposed to 202 or 212 that do, what does that say? about our ability to effectuate leadership. That's another interesting point that I have, a point of contention with my fellow conservatives and probably some of my fellow talk show hosts. Some of them have been saying this is a healthy debate. It is good. We hang it all out in the window and we debate these things. The debate has been had. As far as I'm concerned, the debate has been had and the debate has ended. The debate was had in November, when Andy Biggs ran for the speaker within the caucus and garnered 30, 31 votes and lost. The debate was had yesterday several times, and the debate was had again today several times. 20 to 200 should mean the debate is over. 10% of the party, 10% of our caucus should not be dictating what the rest of us want to do, which is get on with the business of leading. I invite you to argue uh, your points of contention with me if you have them. I am looking for the principled opposition here. I have yet to hear it. I have yet to see it. Uh, I'm open to it. Uh, I am, uh, you know, Kevin McCarthy would not have been my first choice. But it seems to me right now, when you're losing by, you know, 200 to 10 or 200 to 20, that that is the only choice. We have a left to defeat here. We shouldn't be defeating ourselves. 602-5080-960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. During the break, David, um, my associate producer, producer pro tem today, uh, reminded me uh, that what I was saying sounds a little bit like it's a let's grow up conservatives moment. What did he mean? I've spoken a bit about this before. Uh, in 1960, not 1964, but in 1960, 
Barry Goldwater uh, made a effort. There was an effort made on his behalf is probably the better way to put it. Um, he didn't make his own real strong effort until 1964 when he did win the nomination for the uh, Republican Party um, presidential uh, nomination. Uh, in 1960, there was more of an effort to make him the nominee over and against Richard Nixon, and it didn't amount to very much. Richard Nixon became the nominee in 1960, in which... Uh, with certain dissatisfaction in the convention hall, maybe somewhere along the lines of the dissatisfaction we have with Kevin McCarthy right now, maybe something like 10% of that audience, 10% of that movement, 10% of that party then uh, was uh, was unhappy with the, uh, with the Nixon nomination and the Goldwater defeat. Barry Goldwater gave his Let's Grow Up Conservatives speech. It was uh, really one of maybe his second finest speech after his extremism in the defense of liberty speech, which came four years later. In that speech, he reminded the convention that ours here is to attack the real opponent, the Democratic Party. And it was in the early days of 1960 that he said, quote, the Democrats serve up nothing less than a blueprint for socialism, close quote. Pretty interesting. As I like to say, Barry Goldwater said it was a blueprint for socialism in 1960. Today, it's actually kinetic. It's here. He said to stay home, which is to dissent, which is to not support the nominee, not support the guy. Just because your man didn't make it is to vote for that blueprint. He said that blueprint and the Democratic Party stood for three principles in 1960. One, the abandonment of the dignity of man. Two, the abandonment of our economic way of life. And three, a commitment to making America a second-rate power. I'm blown away by the prescience. The Democratic Party has only doubled down on those three things. And then he said, so let's grow up, conservatives. It's childish to stay home. It's childish to dissent. If our movement wants to take the party back and the country, and I think we can, let's get to work and work harder. Meantime, we have a Democratic Party to defeat. That was the message then, and I think it's probably worth recogitating on today, as David reminded me during the break. Thank you for that reminder, David. This is a message that um, I end up having to um, convey often after the primaries. And while it's true that conservatives in the Republican Party tend to do a better job of that supporting the moderates who sometimes beat them rather better than moderates who sometimes lose to conservatives do for conservatives. That's a big story and discussion point in and of itself. Um, it's, it's a question as to who the conservative is here right now. Yesterday, I was reciting the group ratings of Kevin McCarthy. He may not be a conservative in the sense that a Ronald Reagan was or a Barry Goldwater was or a Tom Cotton is or a uh, Josh Hawley is. He may not have conservatism and conservative philosophy within his bones and within his uh, cells the way maybe a Newt Gingrich was as a Speaker of the House. But he is a conservative. His ratings from 
NRA to the pro-life organizations are 100 percent. He is conservative and he has the backing of an awful lot of conservatives. Someone who has the backing of Donald Trump, someone who has the backing of Jim Jordan, someone who has the backing of Marjorie Taylor Greene, while also having the backing of Elise Stefanik and Steve Scalise, that person's doing a pretty good job of uniting. I still have yet to hear the theoretical or philosophical reason from the 20 as to why he shouldn't get this job, as to why we shouldn't get on with the nations and the parties and the movement's business. You hear from time to time a complaint about the swamp and the establishment. Matt Gates gave a speech about the swamp yesterday. The swamp and the establishment, to me, I get it. I mean, I want to drain it too. But the problem here is, is we've been in the minority for way too long, and this establishment notion is a buzzword that comes in and out with every election. Donald Trump was anti-establishment until he was elected president and then got to name the head of the party and be the titular head of the party. Still may be. Is he establishment or is he anti-establishment? You tell me. It's a, it's a very fluid definition. As far as the swamp, I get it. There is a way to drain it. The way to drain it is to expose it and to legislate against it and to litigate against it. We can't do that if we don't have Jim Jordan as the chairman of the Judiciary Committee. We can't do that if we don't have the speakership of the House. We can't do that if we don't have the chairmanship of the House and Oversight Committee. Every day we are fighting this thing is the day the swamp grows and re-entrenches itself. Do you think that there aren't elements at the FBI and the Department of Justice who aren't doing everything they can to reinstantiate and double down on their power and their secrecy and their furtiveness and their coercive actions knowing that Jim Jordan might become the chairman of the judiciary? Do you know how much they can do in one day? Look at how much they did with Twitter. You want to go about getting rid of it? You want to go about draining it? You want to go about killing those alligators? Then let's get on with doing that. Rather than throwing what I think is nothing more than a temper tantrum. And I say temper tantrum meaningfully. Not pejoratively. Meaningfully. I say it's a temper tantrum until someone can explain to me what will stop the crying and the screaming and the gnashing of the teeth. I have yet to hear it. I have yet to hear what will solve and satisfy. Other than that, it seems to me we have jejun temper tantrums taking place. It's not a way to govern. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. Let's grow up, conservatives. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, 602-508-0960. Fred is in Fountain Hills. Hello, Fred. Good afternoon. Hi. Good afternoon. How are you? Um, I'm well, thank you. I was just, you know, this, this is so reminiscent to me and so in your face of what President Lincoln said, you know, years ago before the Civil War, that uh, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And, you know... 
if you know the Bible, he was quoting someone much greater than he was. But uh, other than that, uh, I've never seen so much division. And now it's also in the Republican Party. And, you know, I think President Lincoln also said that if destruction be our lot, it will come from within. We will be its author and finisher. Yes, exactly right. He said that uh, 20 years before the House Divided speech. He said that in 1838. Uh, at his Lyceum address. That's exactly right. He said, no foreign force will be uh, will defeat us. Um, if destruction be our lot, we will be its author and finisher. We will do it to ourselves, Fred. That's exactly yeah. right. And the interesting part about the House Divided speech, um, which was uh, the speech he gave in uh, Peoria, Illinois. It was the capital of Illinois at the time. He gave the uh, he gave it as he was just becoming nom- the nominee for the uh, the the Senate, uh, the race for the United States Senate um, against uh, Stephen Douglas. And he said, "A house divided against itself cannot stand." But quoting uh, quoting the Bible, of course, as you're right, a much greater authority. Um, but then he said something interesting. He said, "I don't expect the house." to fall. He said, I expect it to become all one thing or all the other. All one thing or all the other. I'm going to guess, I don't want to speak for you, so you you tell me if I get you wrong here, but I'm going to guess, for many of us, I'll speak for myself, for the Republican Party to fall through this division and not take its rightful leadership place and in the paradox, paradoxical or bipolar world we live in, for the Democratic Party to succeed in defeating us, this country will become all one thing, and the House will fall. I think they are one and the same now in a way they weren't in Lincoln's time. I think the stakes are that much higher. I think the kinetic operations of the Democratic Party for that blueprint of socialism make the stakes so great today. Um, you know, we were against one huge, terrible, awful evil in the 1850s and 1860s. There's a whole world of evils that I believe the socialist enterprise stares us with today. And and interesting, those threats came from the same party, too. So should, to the answers. So should, to the solutions come from the opposite party, the Republican Party. And we can't do it. Anyway, You, I don't know if you agree with what I said. I, I do, and that's what I was really getting at, is that I believe the greater house of America yep. is in severe trouble. Yep. And uh, many people, like Elon Musk, you know, they have a gloom and doom feeling about the future, I believe. And, I mean, it, when you watch the news, the border crisis alone it should is just devastating us and there are so many, and yet there are so many. Yeah. Right? Yes, the border crisis yeah. alone. Exactly right. The border yeah. crisis alone. The economic situation alone. I was watching. Did I do this yesterday? I don't remember if I did it yesterday. I meant to. I was watching the nineteen rewatching the nineteen eighty debates between Reagan and Carter. Reagan was blaming Carter for a sixty billion dollar budget deficit. Can you imagine? What I wouldn't give for a $60 billion budget deficit today when we're running $2 trillion budget deficits. Yeah. Uh, the drug crisis in this country that is killing um, 300 Americans a day. There are so many things, Fred. You're absolutely yeah. right. So many. Um, and, 
and the accountability that we need to get to the bottom of, the accountability of what was done to us during COVID, the accountability of what the FBI was engaged in in manipulating our elections and our politics, the accountability of all that stuff. We do need to grow up and we need to get to that business. And I don't think we can wait another day. I don't think we should have to wait another day. I'll say it again, what I said yesterday. Back when we thought we'd have a red wave, everyone thought Kevin McCarthy was going to be speaker and we were just fine with it. We were just fine with it. That was with a more powerful Republican Party. Do you realize what could happen here? Do you realize that the Democrats could find caucus, moderate Republicans, and get enough votes to elect a Democratic member as the, as the Speaker of the House of Representatives? Yesterday, Matt Gates said, I don't care if Hakeem Jeffries becomes Speaker of the House. I do. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. If you are looking to invest money but are worried about stock market volatility, our sponsors at Y-Refi have a solution. You can invest in their portfolio, which comes with a high fixed rate of return, and it's not correlated to the stock market. You can turn your monthly income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you like. And there's no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. This is a secure, collateralized portfolio that gives you an up to 10.25% rate of return. That's up to 10.25%. Why Refi is a due diligence approved firm. You can check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or call them at 888-YREFI-34. That's 888-YREFI-34. Great guys. I know them well. You won't get a sales pitch if you call them. They just like talking about what it is that they do. And letting it speak for itself. Uh, the previous caller mentioned uh, Elon Musk, which reminded me of what I wish we were talking about more uh, rather than what we have been forced to be talking about. A uh, piece by Ben Weingarten. He's a regular here uh, over at Newsweek. Fantastic. Let me take a step back on this. It's about the Twitter files and the latest tranche that Matt Taibbi has released over the last two days. First of all, someone said, Matt, read the room. (laughs) Hold off right now. (laughs) This is going to get, the story is going to get lost. Read the room. People are not focused on that right now. They're right, but we need to get focused on it. The Twitter files have revealed in stunning detail a largely successful bid by the United States national security apparatus to manipulate public opinion at a mass scale by imposing a censorship regime on all social media platforms. The scandal, a conspiracy to police speech in violation of the First Amendment, deserves a congressional probe to reveal the full extent of the collusion between myriad government agencies and big tech companies. Hold the malefactors to account and propose laws to prevent it in the future, Ben writes. Yet this scandal is just one of many perpetuated by the deep state in recent years. Numerous federal agencies have demonstrated a level of politicalization and weaponization so systemic and far-reaching that it demands an expansive investigation, one that could bring about radically restructuring of the entire security apparatus. Consider this by no means comprehensive list of the many areas ripe for investigation. 
the national security apparatuses, alleged inflation of the domestic violent extremist threat, under which they have effectively sought to equate MAGA with terrorist. Let me pause on that for a moment. Let me pause on how the left and the Democratic Party have turned MAGA, make America great again, into a dirty word, into a pejorative. That should be a tell, shouldn't it? Why would you, as a major political party in this country, be against making America great or great again? Why would you ever be against America being great? Shouldn't that tell you something? And isn't it one of the worst signs of our times that such a phrase, such an acronym, would become a dirty word in American politics? Jamie Dimon is the uh, head of uh, J.P. Morgan, which is, I believe, America's largest bank. I don't think it's the largest bank in the world, but it would certainly be top five, I would think. There's probably some Chinese banks that are a little bigger. But Jamie Dimon, not a particularly political person. He has a column in the Wall Street Journal today. The title of this article is interesting in and of itself. The West needs America's leadership. How do you like that? How do you like that? The head of an American, the largest American financial institution, perhaps in the private sector, is talking about the West. And in that op-ed, he writes, quote, we must rededicate ourselves to the qualities and principles that made America great. That's a verbatim quote from Jamie Dimon. We must rededicate ourselves to the qualities and principles that made America great. Why can he say it and Republicans can't? He goes on. It's a pretty good template. He goes on. These principles are life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, and the idea that all people are created equal. Welcome to the party, pal, as John McClain might say. He goes on. Democracy and human freedom are inseparable from freedom of speech, freedom of religion, and free enterprise. It would help to educate all Americans about the sacrifice of those who came before us for democracy at home and abroad. It's a fantastic paragraph. I don't know that I could script it better. I don't know if anyone could script it better. It's kind of been the template of the Republican Party for decades, if not tens and tens and tens and tens of years before those decades. Maybe since Abraham Lincoln. Maybe since before Abraham Lincoln. 1856 with the per, per, excuse me, 1856 with the first Republican Party platform that put the Declaration of Independence in it and said this is what our party is dedicated to. Jamie Dimon is telling us this. Are the Democrats listening? Probably not. Are they taking offense? I don't know. Because it didn't come from a Republican, I suppose. Or at least not someone deemed to be a Republican. Interesting when someone like that is willing to put that in the Wall Street Journal op-ed page. How important, how important a notion it should be. And how so little of a pejorative it should be. Next time someone wants to make a negative thing of Make America Great Again, tell them to take it to the bank. Back to Ben Weingarten. He was talking about a by no means comprehensive list of the many areas ripe for investigation. Yes, the national security apparatus, which equated MAGA with terrorism. Two, 
the FBI's suppression of the Hunter Biden laptop and seeming unwillingness to pursue related probes, including into how the president might be implicated in corrupt foreign influence peddling with our worst adversaries while pursuing, along with the Justice Department, the likes of James O'Keefe and Project Veritas over, say, Ashley Biden's diary. Three. The DOJ's pursuit of parents critical of draconian COVID-19 policies and critical race theory. Do we remember that? That was only a year ago. Do we remember the Department of Justice and Merrick Garland, the U.S. Attorney General, weaponizing the DOJ and the word domestic terrorist so that police in conjunction, local police in conjunction with federal law enforcement, would monitor and investigate parents that showed up at school board meetings to do nothing more than question COVID-19 policies and critical race theory? See, they throw so much at us that it's hard to remember it all. But there's more to remember, and we'll talk about it when we come right back. Welcome back. 602-508-0960. Ben Weingarten has a great piece at Newsweek. The um, list of the many areas, by no means comprehensive, ripe for investigation. The equation of MAGA with terrorists. The uh, FBI suppression of the laptop story. The pursuant, the pursuance by the Department of Justice of the likes of Project Veritas. The DOJ's pursuit of parents critical of draconian COVID policies and critical race theory. How about the DOJ FBI's targeting of pro-lifers while threatening their attackers with nothing more than kid gloves? How about the FBI's purging of conservative employees? How about the Department of Homeland Security's attempted creation of a disinformation governance board and broader more persistent efforts across all agencies to, poli- to police miss, dis, and malinformation. How about the FBI's deploying of entrapment schemes and use of confidential informants? How about the DOJ's and FBI's double standard in the pursuit of January 6th defendants versus BLM rioters? 30 dead from those riots, let me remind. 30 dead. Police chiefs resigning across the country. Police departments eviscerated. Over $2 billion worth of damage done. The Mar-a-Lago raid. Whatever happened to those nuclear secrets? You would have thought that was a really big story that a civilian and an ex-president was concealing in nuclear secrets. That's what we were told. How about the FBI's hyper-political suit of the Republican members of Congress, state legislators, and numerous others for questioning the results of an election? How about the lies we were continually told by Adam Schiff? You know, Adam Schiff said that there were going to be huge bombshells with the release of Donald Trump's tax records. Well, those records have been out and about now since last Friday. Five days. Where's the big bombshell? Do you realize 
How much of a Damocles sword someone like Adam Schiff kept hanging over the heads of the American people with promises of things that he had to know didn't exist that he told us did as he bought more and more time? That was political interference, too. That was playing on your emotions, too. Those were lies, too. Those are investigations worth having, too. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.